I was probably, I was in, I told Alan I, I was um, inspired last week to, uh, during his class, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask more questions, try to engender more discussion uh, than I usually do. Um, and I, I remember, I think I was a student at the grad school um, and there was, a, there was a story going around that I thought at the time surely must be one of those apocryphal kind of things about Jack Lewis. Nancy's laughing. Uh, and there are probably several of those. But the one I remember, and this goes back to the late 80s. I'm sure it was the first time I was through it, through the grad school that I heard this. But that he was uh, teaching a class at, at White Station, which he'd probably been teaching for 40 years even then. And one of the, one of the, the members of his class said, Dr. Lewis, why, does this ring a bell yet? Dr. Lewis, um, why, why don't we have more discussion? Uh, ask us questions and we can talk about these things. And his answer, as I heard the story was, well, that would just be a pooling of ignorance. <laughs> well, uh, it was years later, I think uh, I, was, I did my study in Memphis commuting from, from Northwest Alabama. And I think it was after we moved here in 99, I was around a lot of people then. I can't remember who I was talking to. Maybe, maybe it was you, Alan. Maybe it was, maybe it was Rick Oster, Phil Slate. I don't know who I was talking to. But I said, you know, I heard this old story about Dr. Lewis. I said, it can't be true. And I read a lady to me and said, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. So he was, a, he was a, an authoritative voice. But uh, that, the same cannot be said when I'm teaching a class. If there's any uh, uh, ignorance to be shared, I will be contributing to it, I'm, I'm sure. But I'm going to try to do that. And I don't, I don't care if we only talk, uh, get to three or four commandments. Um, that doesn't, uh, doesn't bother me at all. This probably came up uh, in maybe not so many words last week, but uh, certainly the sentiment of how I want to start things off tonight was, was brought up. Um, is it not true that we live in a culture, and I think modern America would be, be very similar to just about any place in, in the developed West, a, a culture in which uh, we don't like being told what to do. I don't really like being told what to do. I, I uh, am very happy, happy with this, you know, this autonomous self and uh, making my own decisions and taking my own steps. Of course, it depends a whole lot on who I'm taking direction from or who's suggesting to me what I ought to do. Um, I'll, I'll take direction or I'll take... Um, uh, orders, I can't think of a better word, a whole lot better from someone who I respect, um, someone who uh, I love, that I, that I know loves me. But in our culture, we, we, value, um, we value our autonomy and, uh, and we value our, our freedom. 
as we should. I'm very jealous about that. Um, and so uh, too many in, in the West and in the United States then, uh, it seems an irony, uh, but um, uh, they look upon the Ten Commandments. Now tell me if I'm wrong, I'm just throwing something out there, but uh, they look upon the Ten Commandments and um, all of God's law as an imposition upon, upon their freedoms. Uh, and, um, and so uh, a lot of people have rejected the Bible outright because they see it as this, this, um, this law book, um, this rule book that uh, is going to take away their freedom. Um, how, how is that wrong? Like I said, I, I think this principle came up last week. Uh, but but how, are, how is it that we as a society, we as a culture, are so mistaken in that? You can take, um, uh, Jesus said, love God and, and, and love your neighbor. Those are the two pillars of the law. It can all be subsumed under that. Uh, and you could, you, could take, you, could take the, you could take the opposite of each one of those, and that would define hating each other. And so the, the thought follows up with that. Uh, what's, what's liberating about living any other way? Um, in, in, in my mind, in the mind of all of us who see God correctly, um, his commands, whether you're talking about the Decalogue or whether you're talking about uh, everything that he's taught us and told us uh, in all of Scripture, it's, it's, it's liberating. He's saying, if, if you want to live, if you want to live a, a shalom kind of life, a peaceful kind of life, peaceful and prosperous, then this is how you live. These commands I'm giving you are, are liberating. They enhance your freedom. Um, I love your law. How many times in the Psalms is that expression repeated? I love your law. It's my meditation. Uh, they just saw the rules. Exactly right. And for them, it was, it was this burden. It had become this, it had become this drudgery. Yeah. But um, there are plenty of places in this world where you can go, and it's, they're not observed often enough in our country. We'll talk about that as the lesson goes on. There are a lot of places you can go in this world where, where the, the, the Ten Commandments are completely ignored. They're, um, they're neglected by most of the societies, and who would want to live there? I, a lot of those places, they don't want to live there anymore. And... Um, I think that's why they're trying to get to places where there's some semblance of order and some semblance of, of, um, uh, of observance of God's laws. Complex thing, I, I know, but, but a lot of people in the world are trying to get someplace where it's, it's better and where God's laws are observed more, it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be better. Well, um, we got as far as... Uh, command number three uh, last week. 
flying yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going. I've been I've been at it now for about 10 minutes and we're not to the to uh, to the fourth commandment yet. But it is remember, remember the Sabbath day. Um, this commandment and number five are the only two that are given as positive positives. It has uh, three parts, uh, the commandment itself. And then there are protocols for keeping the Sabbath. And there is a rationale or a reason for keeping that commandment. Um, to remember the Sabbath means to observe it as a, as a special occasion. And a lot of emphasis is given by the commentators, the Old Testament scholars about the, the full wording of it. Exactly what does it mean? What does it mean in the, in the Hebrew? Uh, it can mean remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy, remember the Sabbath uh, in order to keep it holy. Uh, <clears throat> in my mind, after doing some reading, it's kind of a toss up uh, what exactly the meaning is there. But the bottom line is that by keeping it, you are then treating it as a holy day, uh, different from the other six. What's intriguing to me about this commandment is that exactly how Israel is to keep the Sabbath holy was a subject of discussion and debate among Israelites uh, and among Jews right up to the time of the New Testament. And I think it's even true today. I think there's a lot of disagreement among Orthodox Jews and other Jews about how to properly keep the Sabbath day. Was it in, was it in this class months ago, would have had to have been within the last year, was it in this class or was I someplace else where the where the the uh, the topic uh, of the Sabbath elevator was it in this class? What was the what was the context of that? Well, Nancy and I took an anniversary trip to Miami and stayed in a Jewish hotel in Miami. You don't have to do the work of punching the button. Well, I, is it your understanding that that's, is that an orthodox restriction? It would not be uh, something that we were, would be required by others? No. Right. So isn't that remarkable that uh, well, 3,500 years, 3,300 years, give or take, that there's still not agreement on how to properly keep the Sabbath day. Uh, I, I couldn't remember where it was, but I thought it might have been in this class um, at the time. Well, and of course, uh, the Jewish leaders and Jesus were often at odds over what ought and not, not to be done on the Sabbath. Uh, I started watching for, I think, the third time, The Chosen, and reminded again about how, how many of the conflicts uh, the bashing of heads that occurred between Jesus, figuratively speaking, of course, and, and the Jews, was over what could be done on the Sabbath. Um, one of their biggest, uh, besides blasphemy, one of the biggest uh, complaints they had against Jesus is, 
you're doing all these things on the Sabbath day. You're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus never could get some of them to realize that it's okay. It was never outside of God's intent that you could not do something good on the Sabbath. You're going to pull your, if your ox gets stuck in a ditch on the Sabbath, you're not going to leave him in there to die. You're going to, you're going to pull him out. Uh, it, it, the, the issue was, as Jesus tried to explain to them, they, they had made the Sabbath this sacrosanct thing for its own sake and had forgotten that, as he said, uh, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for people. Uh, it was never meant to be elevated up like that. It was for your good, like all of these laws. It was for your good that God created the Sabbath. Um, is it, I've seen it both ways. How do you, how, I'd like to hear how you understand it. I've, I've uh, read some commentators that identify the first three commandments as the first table and then four through ten as the second table. Some have one through four as the first table and six through ten as the second table. What, what did you find, Alan? Is it, were they, what, what's your understanding of it? And I think, yes, and I think most probably do. The guys I read from, I don't know if I ever would have thought of this myself. They really see four as a bridge between, between the first and second table, whichever side you put it on, because it's got, it's got the vertical element. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Keep that as a special day of, of reverence and worship. But then what's the... Uh, What's the ethical part of that commandment? But remember how that commandment has played itself out? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Remember the Lord, He rested on the Sabbath. But because it's enjoined on, on uh, Jews that you won't work, but also your servants, your slaves, not in your, even your animals, so it's a whole lot more than just this uh, need that human beings have to observe this physical uh, rhythm that we work and then we must have that essential day of rest. And then we work some more and we must have that essential day of rest. But it was so that uh, people would not get so wrapped up, heads of households would not get so wrapped up in earning a living and, and then um, employing others to work for him to earn a living, that it's just nonstop, it's constant. God knew we needed that rest. And he said, not just for you, but also for everyone, even your animals in your household, you must rest. So it's got that, it's got that horizontal element too, and that's why they sometimes refer to it as a bridge. So I wanted to ask, um, I wanted to ask this question. Um, and I would not be surprised at all if this had not come up in a number of, uh, of Sunday or Wednesday night, Wednesday night classes over the, over the years in, in your experience or memory. What principle of Sabbath keeping would we still do well to continue uh, 
to practice. What do you think about that? Um, if, if Sunday was to serve to fulfill the spirit of the Old Testament Sabbath, have we been faithful to it? And I guess I'm presuming on, on uh, Sunday fulfilling that spirit of the Old Testament Sabbath, but I think there's a sense in which it does. Have we done, have we done well um, maintaining that? I see a, a shaking of the head. And I, th I think I'm getting, a, I'm getting, ahead, uh, getting ahead of myself. Uh, well, only by one command, but do, do you all think, is, is there a correlation between rigid observance of Sabbath in principle and proper respect for, for parents? You see where I'm going with that? In, in cultures where there is a there is that special day, whether it's Christian Sunday or whether it's Jewish Sabbath. Would we find in those cultures uh, greater respect of children for parents? Am I just making that up? My sense is we would. I, I, that's something I would like to do some more, some more research uh, into, but uh, my sense is that 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 we that we would if there's a if there is a greater respect for for God even to the extent that we're just going to slow down or we're going to stop we're going to put everything all the other influences away we're just going to spend time together uh, playing it yeah, I think that there would seems like there would uh, there would be um, well let's go to the next one uh, honor father and mother according to Paul Ephesians six two this is the We've heard this also growing up, uh, the first command with promise. Uh, and the promise is that your days may be long in the land. Of course, I think most of us realize by now that's to be understood corporately. Uh, it's, it's, that is the, the nation of Israel. Would, you would, you'll prosper, you'll live long in the land. It's not an individual promise. Um, although I, I, think, uh, I, I think there is this principle that, that people who love and honor their parents, uh, probably will love and honor their spouses and children and their relationships with other people and uh, less stress and all of that and probably will live longer, all things being, all things being the same. Um, Jesus' judgment on the, uh, the Corban loophole in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, uh, tells us that, that all was not well in the Jewish family. Um, that honoring father and mother meant taking care of them when they were in need, when they got to that place in life, when they were in need. Uh, and of course, um, you, you, you don't have to know a whole lot about historical um, economics uh, um, to, to be able to, to understand the, the differences. I mean, there were no social safety nets back in those days. There, there was uh, money collected in the temple uh, for widows. Uh, that was, um, so within the Jewish, within Jewish society, there was some, somewhat of a, of a, of a safety net. But um, 
Social Security and pensions and all those things uh, just 2,000 years in the future. And uh, so uh, as you reached a certain age of infirmity, and that would probably have been on average a whole lot sooner than it would have been in our time, uh, you really quickly got to the point where your dependence upon some other human being increased very quickly. And uh, who, was that, who was that going to be? Well, it was, it was going to have to be on your sons and daughters, um, which would put a premium on big families, right? And on particularly what kind of offspring? Sons. Um, you, you want to have those sons who... Well, that, that's true, a daughter-in-law, right? Um, but you, back in those days, uh, you needed the son who could be a wage earner. Uh, but if you get to that point and uh, your children uh, don't remember everything they did for you and, and they don't honor and respect you, you're kind of in, you're kind of in trouble. And there was this loophole, I'm declaring, I've declared this little, this little bit that I've got over here in this bank account, it's Corbin, it's reserved for the Lord, I can't use it to uh, support my aging parents. And, um, and Jesus told them, he said, you've got it, you've got it all wrong. Uh, you're, 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 violating, you're violating the fifth commandment by doing this. You're missing the whole, um, the whole intent of the law. Um, so, uh, an intriguing question for me is, uh, how is, and this is a little bit like the one I asked earlier, if it's too much like it, we'll move on. How is godly conduct toward parents and respect for traditional roles within the family? And I know I'm varying a little bit from the real meaning behind this commandment. It was when you honor your, honor your father and your mother, that means you take care of them when they're in need. But there's also that other component as well uh, that comes out of a love and respect for them. So how is godly conduct toward parents and respect for traditional roles within the family correlated with a successful national existence? I can't help in my mind. I kept going to this. I, I, I look at the commandment, thinking about it, reflecting on it, and then I think, oh, but look at what a mess we're in in our country. I couldn't help doing that. Um, maybe I shouldn't have, but that's what I did. So with our, with our families, to a great extent, just in shambles, how much of that has to do with the mess we're in in our American culture? Does, does, does that ever cross y'all's minds? Well, what do you think? Any, Stir any thoughts in your, in your mind? Just a coincidence, or is there a cause and effect kind of relationship there? I was at a, just a little illustration. Um, Carol and I were at this, who is this place, South Haven, the silo? It's got the silo, silo. Neat little shopping center they're building down in, is it, is it South Haven? Uh, one of them. Yeah, it's one, one of those down there in Mississippi. 
And we met this lady, a strong Christian lady. She gave us two or three CDs that she had recorded, Christian songs. And she was telling me she'd been in, she'd been in Florida, Destin, someplace like that. And, and she said, but when she grew up, she went to East High School. And I went, oh, I, she was about the, about the age. So I said, did you know Sybil Shepherd? Y'all you know Sybil Shepherd, the actress? She's, she's way past her prime now, but I knew she went to East High School. She said, yes, I did, I did know. And she kind of had this downcast look on her face. Yes, I did know. And uh, she said, you know, uh, Sybil was not very nice to her mother. I said, really? Um, uh, nobody called the Enquirer or anything about this. I don't want to, I don't want to mess up Sybil Shepherd's reputation. But she, she said she, she showed a lot of disrespect to her mother. Um, it was at a track meet two weeks ago, and there's a, a young lady from one of the schools, a really good discus and shot putter, and because um, she's always beating our girls, and. Uh, and one of the kids, I was talking afterwards, and I was saying, you know, she's really, she's really good, isn't she? And, she, and, and one of my kids, one of my girls said, yeah, but she, she really said some ugly things to her mother. So it was kind of discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Um, I, I think I'm one of those that believes that, that uh, if we had a whole lot more going on right in the home, our country would be in a lot, a lot better shape. So much of it starts there. And I guess that's such an obvious thing. It hardly goes without saying, but I can't help thinking about it when I'm, when I'm thinking about the commandments. Generations subsequent to mine, uh, um, and I, I can't explain why, but it seems to me that they enjoy, like my, uh, my, my, my sons and and their wives that, that uh, um, but it, it seems like they value cross-generational activity, is that the way to put it? More than mine did. And I don't know why, maybe it was, I was just really narrow, but um, I, see, I see more of that. They seem to value that more than ours. Well, uh, do not murder, uh, command six. Uh, no explanation, no discussion. Uh, but as we, I think, as I think we said last week, the rest of the Pentateuch uh, really goes deeply into explaining and diving into these the the Decalogue um, more more deeply. Um, on it, on the surface, this command and the meaning of the word, the old King James, "Thou shalt not kill." Uh, that was settled a long time ago. It's not, it's not you shall not kill, but you shall not murder. And I think we all under, understand that. Um, and yet, I was going to point out, um, Patrick Miller has written a book on the Decalogue years ago. And um, he, he spends about 50 pages, as he does with each of the commandments, talking about what constitutes murder. What, what, does, that, what does that mean? And there's, there can be a lot of discussion about what that is. It usually comes down to um, that, that the commandment to not kill means that you are forbidden. God forbids the taking of innocent life. And of course, what questions does that beg? 
what's an innocent life and what is life. Um, it seems very straightforward and simple to us, but unfortunately, uh, it's not, um, it, it's, it, that's not an easily answerable question. And I bet you know where I'm going with this, but it's a whole lot in the news right now. What is, what is life? When does that begin? That's the, that's the whole question. I don't think any of the people that were protesting the, the possible impending Supreme Court decision, I don't think any of them would, would raise, up an, raise up a sign and said, I am for killing, I am for killing human beings. But they don't regard what's in the woman's hu, uh, womb as a human being, as a life yet. I'm not going to get into all that. But that's, that's the issue we, we get into. What is, what is life? And then what, is, what, what, is, what does innocent mean? Well, you know, depending on your perspective, it can mean a lot of different things. And I don't understand how, how some people think, but um, it's, not as, uh, it's not as cut and dry as we think it ought to be. And it uh, seems to me like it, it ought to be. Um, an example of a justified killing is, uh, is found in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, uh, it's, I think is enlightening. Um, and, and this also relates to the fifth commandment. Uh, it says the rebellious son is to be stoned to death in order to, in other words, if there's a son and he's rebellious and he's, he's a drunkard and he doesn't respect his mother and father and he's causing all kinds of trouble in the community, uh, the parents need to drag him before the elders and he needs to be stoned right there on the spot. The purpose is to purge the evil from your midst and all Israel will hear and be afraid. That's pretty close to Paul's language in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The, uh, the man who uh, is um, uh, having an incestuous relationship with his mother, mother-in-law, who, whoever that might be, or stepmother. Um, uh, it, it, Paul uses that language very closely. Purge the evil from your midst. It's in Deuteronomy 13, 5 and 11. Um, taking a human life is a horrible thing to do, regardless of the circumstances, and should only be undertaken under the most stringent conditions as a last resort uh, by governments that are given that authority. Uh, but its rationale is, is clear. Some people, societies have deemed for centuries, uh, have these irrevocable tendencies towards self-destruction or towards societal destruction. And the only remedy, the best remedy, is to remove them from society. Um, and it, it has always been true, and I think it's one of those things that, that, that our law code is grounded in the New Test in the Old Testament for is that that capital justice is supposed to be a deterrent to the rest of the population. It's to literally strike the fear of the Lord in people, to strike the fear of authoritative government in people, and and say if if you if you if we cannot you know if we cannot purge this this destructive murderous spirit. Uh, out of you, then, then you will be purged from the society. That's, that's the idea uh, behind it. Um, 
We have, I, I, I should have come armed with this uh, statistic, I suppose. Um, how many murders occur in the United States annually? Thousands, I suppose. But when someone is executed, it makes the news. One a year, two a year, three a year. It, it's, it, it at least makes local news, and, and usually it's going to make national news. So, can, can anyone think of a, of a reason that, that, that that's so? If you go back 200 years, uh, I think, I know, that there would, in any given community, even any given country, the, the um, uh, capital execution would have occurred much more often than it does, right or wrong. What's different now? I just, this thought popped in my mind. I wonder if it'll pop in any of yours. What's different now compared to Old Testament times, New Testament times, even a couple hundred years ago in modern society? So how, how, how are societies able to function with that status quo now, how, how are we able to do that where it was not feasible to do 200 years ago? Exactly, exactly. We can incarcerate people, by the, and we do incarcerate, incarcerate them by the tens of thousands of people at great public expense because we have these modern, we have these modern economies that allow that to be done. And so we can, and it's, it's purging them from society. It's, it's accomplishing one of, those, um, one of those purposes for it. But, but we're able to do that. Now, I, I don't know that it's either here nor there. I'm not making any big overarching point from that. But modern societies are able to do that. We kind of slough the problem aside. And I don't know whether it's ultimately better for societies or worse for for societies and cultures, but we're able to do that because we have these great, big, huge, very expensive penal systems. Um, well, let's see, Alan did three, I'm on three. I think, I think I'm going to surpass. We'll get at least one. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Our God highly values the sanctity of the marriage relationship. It is to be kept holy. That's the general principle behind the seventh commandment. Um, in practice, during Old Testament and New Testament times, it was not so easily dealt with. For one thing, the restriction was disproportionately applied to married or betrothed women. And I bet you, I bet you know, you can imagine where I'm going with this. Remember in John 8, Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery before Jesus. You've probably heard this point made in sermons on this passage. They brought this woman before, Lord, she was caught in a very act of adultery. Uh, what, what should we do? The, the, the law says that she should be stoned. Of course, Jesus says, those of you who haven't sinned, you, you throw the first stone. They didn't bring the guy. Men seem to have gotten a pass on this. So it wasn't very equitably applied back in those back in those days uh, the the cohesion of societies depends upon this principle of exclusive physical intimacy 
in marriage. Um, and the results on view for all to see where this commandment is not generally obeyed bear out the importance of it. Uh, breaking it wrecks lives and over time disintegrates societies. My nephew, um, Alan Howe, who now teaches at Harding University, was a missionary in Mozambique for 17 years, 17 years. And uh, he, he would tell us repeatedly that missionaries in that part of the world, and I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's not restricted to Mozambique, they were at war with three demons, um, drunkenness, witchcraft, and marital unfaithfulness. Those were the three big issues that they were constantly having to deal with and were having a terrible time overcoming. Uh, Jesus, yes. Saved, yes. Yeah, I'll be baptized. But they did not want to give up their drink. They did not want to give up sleeping around. They did not, they did not want to give up their witch doctor. And, and getting to that point was, uh, was really, really hard. Uh, but God values covenant and commitment and fidelity. This is what he is like. And so he wants us to be like that in our relationships, particularly um, the, uh, the marital relationship. So we are most like God when we are faithful to, uh, to our spouses. Um, the, any, you know, I never, watched, I never watched these things. I always have to hear about them on the news. Uh, the Academy Awards, the whole psh, debacle. Everybody knows about that, right? I, I, I don't know whether it was a podcast or something I read about from somebody that knows that situation more than most people. At, at the root of that is uh, Will and, and, and Jada Smith's open marriage. They have an open marriage. You can't tell me that that is not that does not lie at the root of confusion and anger and and resentment and all of that kind of all those emotions just and it it boiled over in that moment boiled over open married well uh you shall not you shall not steal you shall not give false testimony and you shall not covet boom i finished <laughs> Next time we do this, if we're still around, let's have three weeks.